You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. That first song got me. I'm sorry. That's just it. I got good news for you this morning. We're going to say nothing new, but I do believe the challenge of it is going to unseat perhaps some of the usual way in which we approach the gospel, some of the usual way in we just assume, you know, the gospel. For me, this gospel and the Savior of this gospel has got to continue to kind of awe us. We've got to continue to live in wonder. David says when he wakes up, bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything within me, bless His holy name. Because left up to our own devices, things become normal, ordinary. And then we've got to get a letter from heaven like the Ephesians did and said, you've left your first love. And we don't want to do that. We really don't. So for me, every one of us needs to have a vision. We do. And I think there's a lot of talk. There's life coaches. There's all kinds of courses. And we kind of write these things down. But here we are. We're sitting here as believers. If you're not one, we're going to show you how to do that this morning. Very definitely. But unless your vision is Christ, be thou my vision. You are aiming at something less. It's not an aspect of Christ or a work of Christ or a strategy of the gospel, it's Him. Every person in every local church, our vision is Jesus. And without vision, we perish. So it's almost like if your vision is not Christ, you build into your life defect. You build into your life almost uh, a kind of wobbly foundation that is going to, years later, the building's going to come crashing down. And so we want to do that. Here's a quote. If the church does not look sound and act like Jesus, its founder, then it is not the church, but rather something else. Jesus is always and only the true measure of its authenticity. There's only one true measure of this, is is it reflecting Christ? He gave us that job to reflect Him to our wives, to our children, our children to the parents and to the neighbor and to the nations of the world. That's why we go out, is because we're called to reflect Him. So I want to encourage us with that. We've been called to be those who are just so enamored by this gospel, nothing else can grip us. Matthew 4, verse 19. I use the ESV. If you use the NIV, you're forgiven. If you use the NLT, buy another Bible. <laughs> NLT is good, but you need to get something that is maybe just a little bit more accurate in its translation. NLT is great. You'll get saved with NLT. But I go for ESV. It's a little more awkward to read than NIV, but yet I, I just like the accuracy. Matthew 4, 19. If you don't even need a Bible, you can quote this. We were all taught it at Sunday school. Jesus says, as he sees Peter, James, and John, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's how Jesus begins his ministry. That's how he begins to challenge those that are going to become followers. Later on, 24 chapters later, 28 verse 19, he's going to challenge us collectively. And so he's gathered disciples. And so 
that local church or the local churches get that command. And we're going to go into that in a little bit. But uh, here's an interesting little story about Facebook. Okay, I know you guys do the Facebook thing. That's your deal. I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles, okay? Therefore, every day I walk down the street and tell passers-by that I've eaten, what I've eaten. I tell them how I feel at the moment and what I've done the night before and what I'll do later on and with whom I'll do that. I give them pictures of my family, my dog, of me gardening, of me watering the garden, of me standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch and pictures, and I share pictures of what anybody and any, everybody does in everyday life. I also listen to their conversations. I give them the thumbs up and tell them I like them. You know, and it works just like Facebook. I already have four people following me, two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. <laughs> it's amazing. Social media, we've become dumb. We've become crazy. It's like we don't know how to interact face-to-face. We've messed it up. The art of conversation is not there. Our attention span is seconds instead of minutes. It's, it's phenomenal. So you can be sure that culture and human frailty has messed the gospel up. Somehow, instead of that gospel being the most alarmingly important message that kind of excites my whole life, it just kind of blends into the background as another little bit of murmur. And guess what? When we come on a Sunday and we kind of sit there, they highlight it, and then that's it. It doesn't have no kind of impact outside of that. And so I want to speak about the importance of us elevating this incredible message, the gospel of grace. We need to recover our understanding of it. We are never going to plant churches. We are never going to reach our neighbors We are never going to impact this world. We're never going to see true breakthrough in our own lives until this gospel grips us like it should. You know, Paul never moves from it. Paul is an absolute master. He could argue with the best of them. He was brilliant. He understood history, understood the day he was in. He could quote poetry. He was like the average American, a sports nut. He hung out at arenas, watched the races. He watched gladiators, all of that. Paul was a man of the world. But I tell you, he never moves away from the gospel. Once the gospel got him, he doesn't move away from it. It's not like when you get to 2 Timothy, the last bit of writing, it's just this like like volume of, of, of rhetoric and volume of philosophy. It's not. He just keeps defining his life and he keeps defining the churches that he writes to about the gospel. And for this reason I'm praying for you is that Christ may be fully formed in you. That's awesome. I love that. It really is. It's just so important. You see, the gospel is not just another philosophy amongst the many philosophies that are out there. We're made to feel that. Yeah, I know. It's just another way. You know, but, you know, you know now, don't get me on this subject. Vegans. <laughs> Man, why do vegans have to try and make hamburger patties look like meat? Why can't they just be satisfied with broccoli? You know, it just freaks me out. If you want to be an honest vegan, be an honest vegan, and go and eat grass and moo with the cows. You know, that's fine. I've got no issue with that. <laughs> but it's not just vegan. 
It's like there's a philosophy of life over there. There's a purity I feel. You know, the only time we feel pure, he said it, is with the holiness of Christ ruling and reigning in my heart. Not eating vegetables. Whatever your parents told you about vegetables, don't believe that stuff, really. <laughs> I'm just setting all the kids free here. Maybe bring them back. We need to chat to them. And I tell you, there are many philosophies out there that are so, like, beautifully formed and put together. Remember, the father of lies, the devil, understands human nature. And he uses philosophies to trap people. And the saddest thing is you can listen to that philosophy and you can think, man, absolutely not. How can people believe that rubbish? But they'll give their lives to it. They'll sell their everything to be part of that issue. You see, also the gospel is not just to make us better citizens. It's not. You know, I've, I've often heard that. You know, the gospel is there to make us comply and we'll all live a happy life. It's not just that. It's not a self-betterment program. It isn't. It's not, you know, like average person, car insurance, tick. Life insurance, tick. Don't want to die and leave the wife with debt. You know, house insurance in South Africa, very important. You know, robbery takes place and all the rest of it. So you tick contents, tick. Cell phone insurance, goodness me, that little God of ours. You know, you don't want to drop that baby and not be insured. You know how much screens cost? So otherwise you've got to take it to the Pakistanis and they repair it cheaply with, you know, wrong parts. <laughs> and anyway, here's the deal. We insure everything and we see Christianity, come on, come on, as afterlife insurance. Tick. We've done it, and we don't have to worry. Just appear every now and again. Guest appearance. Hey, guys, I'm here. Make a fuss over me. Show me how important I am. And then that's it. Next four weeks, we don't see anybody. It's not a, another way to the afterlife. Now, I know there's many ways, but this is just another way. It's not some fable. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through him. That's got to grip us. It's got to grip us. It's a life-changing, world-impacting uh, message. It's got to grip us right from there. And if we don't, as individuals, have that conviction, we don't live it out that way with, with the strength um, of, of its life-altering. My life was a before Christ and an after Christ. It wasn't like this was added to me to make me better. No, I was an absolute mess before that, even though I helped grannies across the road and I looked after puppies and I was kind to kittens and I gave to, you know, the poor people in, in wherever they are in the world. Actually, everything was bad before and everything is good now because of him. There's possibility. I have to see it that way. You know, Paul's, Paul's main message was the gospel. It's such an important word. Jesus uses it when he starts his ministry and it says he, he went about proclaiming the truth teaching the truth and demonstrating the truth by healing people. Do you know that word proclaim, what it is? It's, it's a Greek word for a town crier. So a town crier would arrive at the public square and he would shout at the top of his voice and he, his clothing bore an authority that said you all have to come out of your buildings, you have to stop your jobs and you have to come and stand and listen to me because I carry kingdom important news. That's the word. That's what it contains. And what does Christ say? There's a new king. That's what he says. And he points to himself as the way and the truth. So when Paul finally gets saved, you remember he gets knocked to the ground. 
he goes to the Damascus, was it? Yeah, Damascus. And then that dude gets a job again to pray for Paul. His eyes are opened. And then it says immediately, this is what it says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying as the town crier, now that he understood it, there's a new king. And his name is Jesus. And I tell you, there's a new king in your life. And his name is Jesus. Not me. You're not going to share thrones, you know, or kind of, uh, he does the 9 to 10.30 shift on a Sunday, and I do the rest of the, the kind of time. Important decisions, we don't need you. Important, cre- uh, like career decisions, we don't need Jesus. No, he rules and reigns. And I come under his rule and reign. That's the gospel of God. It's important. Paul says, it's my gospel. Isn't that cool? My gospel. And, and he will go over and over again to encourage those that he raises up. This is my gospel. Don't depart from it. If you are, you're going to actually run shipwrecked. My gospel. In another epistle, he says, it's our gospel. And then he says, it's our partnership. It's in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, the very nature of what we call to do is the gospel. You know, we don't go to... Uh, Taiwan, we don't go to Ethiopia to try and extend the borders of, you know, Kentucky Fried New Covenant Ministries and that, that, you know, let's have another outlet there and let's brand everything that way. We're desperate to see Ethiopians saved. We're desperate to see Taiwanese people saved. We want to get there as the town crier with his authority, dressed in that outfit, shouted out and establish a New Testament church. That's about that. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not tradition, not attending churches. And you know, it's, it's amazing how we kind of think that. You know, we put the prayer hands up, crochet them, put them in the lounge, get the fish sticker, we get the tattoo now, that's the new one, you know, now I'm a believer. No, rule and reign of Christ. The gospel is the power of, of, of salvation. You know, it's that plague of the firstborn. It's amazing. Everything under the blood was saved. Everything not under the blood was destroyed. And that's the gospel. You have to be under the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Church attendance, none of these other kind of gimmicks that we try and do and the ways in which we try and coerce people. It's as simple as that. A very good person who did all the good things in life, he paid his taxes. I know yours are coming up soon. He did all of that stuff. I'm lucky I reminded you, hey, you could have gone into, <laughs> gone into trouble there, buddy. So that person not under the blood would not be saved. So don't kind of see good people and think, oh, well, that's it, or good behavior is going to get me there. No, it isn't. Are you under the blood? That means I've accepted Jesus Christ into my life as Lord and Savior. That's it, simple. I love the way this is phrased. God's word is not bound. That's the gospel, not bound. It actually sets us free. But then Paul can say in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I tell you, how does, how does it happen that we become ashamed of the gospel? I know I can, I can point to periods in my life where I know I was ashamed of the gospel. Get a golden opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And I, I kind of, it's a bit too awkward. You know, it'll kind of expose me a little bit too much. Uh, it's going to require a little bit. You know, it's, I'm going to have to be vulnerable. So I just shy away from it. And I do the usual thing is human suffering, you just turn away from it. 
No. I tell you, we are ashamed of the gospel when we are ignorant of it and we don't accept it for what it is. We're ashamed of the gospel when we don't allow it to transform us. Let this gospel into your life. That is going to transform you. Until it grabs hold of that wallet and it starts to dethrone money and it puts God back on the throne. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how we quote that scripture, give to Caesar what is due to Caesar. And we put a full stop. No, and to God what is God's. So I kind of have this thing with our church. Actually, it's all God's, right? So you should give your entire salaries into the church. And then every Sunday we'll issue you with what you need. <laughs> They haven't caught it yet, but we're still working on that one. No, no, it'll work, maybe. How come we're ashamed of the gospel? Because we don't celebrate it the way we should. And we should be celebrating it as that life and death message. You know, and, and when they eventually find a cure for cancer, those guys are, are not going to kind of be quiet about it. It's amazing how quiet we are about the most important message of all. Tell you, yeah, your neighbors squabbling and shouting or getting beat up and kind of exposed to people at work having affairs and all of that. There's cancer that is set in. There's the, the rule and reign of the, of the enemy is there. And you're sitting there with these goods. You're ashamed of the gospel if you don't start to pray. You don't start to look for opportunities to share. You see, that's not Christianity on steroids sharing the gospel. That's normal and ordinary. That really is. You know, it's amazing. Somebody bothered to come and sit on my bed in my drug state, me stoned, blowing, you know, dope smoke all over them and sharing the gospel with me. They put my name in a prayer book and they prayed for a year for me. And then you know what I do is I just become this end user. Chill. I'm ashamed of the gospel if I live that way. We need to be motivated by love for people, for nations, and dying and go to hell. Because without Jesus, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. But the good news as well, Paul says, is this gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world. As it is with you, as it is right over here in Denver, it's bearing fruit in the whole world. And I just touch a few places. And when I go there, I'm, I'm just blown away. We have a, a live wire Frenchman. We had one on our eldership um, uh, kind of within weeks of coming on to our eldership, he was trying to tell me how to do my job. Uh, it was amazing, just the courage he had in seeing all the faults we had, and he was going to correct everything for me. I was just blown away. I led him to the Lord when he was 14, kind of got him delivered of demons. He got him off drugs, well, the Lord did, and uh, kind of grew up in our ranks and then came on to eldership. I knew what I was letting myself into, very outspoken, front-footed, you know, wild uh, and on several occasions, because it was in front of all the other elders, I had to take him on. And his poor wife, she would just cry because, you know, she'd realize how stupid he was. Anyway, <laughs> had some great conversations alone. We chatted, we worked through, you know, how to handle things, how to be a good leader. Uh, great preacher. I tell you, you could just throw the mic at him and he would get up and he would preach a sermon and, you know, people would be impacted. Man, he was a trophy of God's grace. And he set our children's ministry on fire. In a number of ways, he, he, his ministry was almost irreplaceable. And then he said to me, I, I want to plant in France. <laughs> I said, no, two years' time. I thought, buy yourself time, yeah, buddy. You've got to find out what to do. And 
So sure enough, after about a year and a half, he came back to me and he said, hey, what about it? And so I said, sure thing. Okay, well, let's go. So we visited. We went and walked the streets. We prayed. Montpelier is where we eventually planted. And, you know, we never heard much. And eventually, it was more calls for help. It was more desperation. But my visits there now, there are French families sitting there that have not transferred from other churches. They've been born again. There's this postmodern humanistic culture that he's a very clever dude, this. And he went into that context. And so he does everything, you know, kind of thinking how I can save people. He listens. He's in a, 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 a coffee shop and he hears this single mom saying, in French, you know, I, I, I needed that truck to move. He hasn't got a truck, he hasn't got a car. So he goes and he says, I'll help you move. So he phones a few friends, they manage to get a car with a trailer, they move her, she gets saved, her and her kid in the local church. And I just love those testimonies of God's grace, how this gospel is bearing fruit. So I have got five minutes, right? No, I knew I had five minutes. I didn't realize they come that quickly. <laughs> now I want to correct us because I think we misunderstand Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. It says, come follow me, and I will make you. All of Christianity is summarized in that one verse. Come follow me, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. This is how we do it nowadays, seeker-sensitive church. I'm not saying that's you guys. If it is, repent immediately. I'll be available for a little session or two. Uh, anyway, this is how it goes. Come follow me, and I will make you. Come on, fill it, fill it out. Comfortable, comfortable. Come follow me, I'll make you comfortable. Ours is better, our seats are softer, our coffee is better. You know, and, and so instead of us trying to gather people to mobilize them to go, we gather people to fill our seats to make ourselves look successful. And so then we, we trim that, we, we even drop, I'll make you. That's discipleship. That's all of us interacting together, connecting, loving, sharing, bumping heads, arguing, you know, grinding our truth together, partnering, going on trips, excursions, overseas, whatever it's going to take, neighbors, praying, it's all of that so that we can eventually become, you see, it's not come follow me and I'll make you trophies and put you in my cabinet. No, if we want to properly apply the gospel, if you want to see yourself properly, look, you are saved with just come follow me. Don't listen to what I'm not saying. But if you really want to let this gospel do what it should do, you'll become fishers of men. And then in, in, in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. That's now the collective. All three elements are there. Baptize, that's come follow Jesus. Uh, teach him to obey, that's I'll make you. And lo, I'm with you. In other words, till the end. In other words, anointing to be fishers of men. It's built in. It's all there. That's, that's our God. When he saved Andrew, he saved Andrew so he could save others through Andrew. And too many times it's, I'm now the recipient of this grace and I'm going to keep it. No ways. And so we need to change our understanding and go back. This is one of those times we need to go and kind of, you know, engineer this backwards and say, I think I've got it wrong. You know why? Because I made myself the center of Christianity. I never made the Lord Jesus king. That Caruso message of that word saying he is the, the, the new king of this kingdom, that's it. I've got to get that firmly in place in my life. It is just so important. 
You see, Mark's version says this, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I <coughs> will make you become fishers of men. So imagine this. He's thinking he's going to make Marcus into a fisher of men. Marcus is thinking it's about him and his comfort. There's a frustration that is going on. And often we live in that frustration. We wonder why. It's just not going well. Actually, you know the true blessing is in sharing and going. The true blessing is not in staying and perfecting. The only way I can perfect my faith is to share it. The only way that we can mature and grow in what we call to is to go. The only way, I said to the young guys yesterday morning, I said, there's two things I want you to do. First one, buy an atlas. Right now, go and see there's a world outside of Denver. Second thing is save your money and go on a trip. You've got to go and hear people of another language and see something else and start to make a difference in those people's lives. So let's pray together. Is that okay, TK? To pray. So obviously with your heads bowed, if you're not saved, you need to come under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you thought church attendance or you know a Christian or you're friends with TK, that makes you a Christian, that doesn't. You need to accept into your life Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So please sort that out. Chat to some of these guys in the front row. They'll help you with that. I want to encourage us. Go on a trip. Start to pray for your neighbor. Start to make this about others. And so, Father, I pray for that right now in the name of Jesus, that we truly understand the gospel for what it is. We wouldn't make this some kind of product that is going to enhance my life. We would let it rearrange the whole way in which we do life. We submit ourselves to you, and we say, come make us fishers of men. And I know, just with your heads bowed, for some of us, man, I don't know if we've ever held somebody else's hand and prayed that prayer with them as they accept Christ. That is the greatest privilege we can have. The greatest privilege we can have is going and giving and sending. And so we trust you for that. It will be built into our hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well done, Marcus. What a, what a great gospel reminder for us this morning. Eh? Incredible gospel reminder. You see, the gospel doesn't just deal with our past. It sets the course for our future. And I think that's exactly what Marcus is saying. When we get into that thing that is like, oh, it's all about me, then that's cool. It's dealt with my past, and now I've got a happy life. But actually, the gospel sets a course for our future. And that's the second part of that thing. I will make you fishers of men. We're going to break bread. And uh, Romans 10, one of, it lands in one of my favorite scriptures. It says this, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. There's that word that Marcus used, proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then we skip down to Romans 10, 13, one of my absolute favorite verses. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.